chapter 5. If you're new with us, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, some people have asked um, if, if my health has denigrated because I'm sitting down. And uh, the answer is uh, twofold. My health, has, my health has denigrated, but I'm not sitting down because of it. I'm sitting down because I believe this message these messages from the Sermon on the Mount are probably the most prolific for us as a church, and I don't want to preach at you. I don't want to preach at you. I am overly convinced that I can't change a soul. I have preached my heart out for years. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, don't hear me wrong, but I'm saying that I've gotten to a place where when I read these words on the Sermon on the Mount and when I sing this last song that we sang, I don't feel the freedom in the congregation. And I don't think it's just us. I don't think it's, you know, I don't feel like it's like there's a sin of Achan per se in the body necessarily. Uh, and, and I think it's a condition that is known throughout Christendom. And it's becoming deeper and deeper embedded in my radar as a person. And the weight of it sometimes feels unbearable. Everywhere I look, everywhere I look, there are people in despair. There are teenagers who have zero hope for a future. There are parents who are afraid to have their kids grow up because the world has become so... Uh, seismic that we fear for them and we come looking for answers if we're honest with ourselves we, we should come to Jesus looking for answers yes I mean generally that's, that's the statement that we're going to make here we come to Jesus for an answer and I want to feel like he's given it to us The past two weeks have been very descriptive. We talked about um, what it looks like to be in the character of a believer. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And we look at those, and I've looked at those in the past and gone, oh, Lord, no way. Those are pieces, those are pieces that I've seen it, and it's just not going to happen in my life. But you get older, and you begin to observe things more. And then that first week, we talked about the three kingdoms. The kingdom of our self, which is the most, one of the most dangerous, where we, we let our, our kingdom run. We do what we want. We do what we think is right. We do what we feel is right. The other is the kingdom of Satan, that there is an evil one, an enemy that's out there like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. 
and he's doing a good work of it. And we are either giving him too much credit or not enough. And, you know, we, we have created a lot of times a gospel of sin management. Well, as long as I can maintain and be pretty good, I can get by here and it's okay. But the answer is none of us can do that. None of us can, can change. We can create habits, but the inside out thing needs to happen. And so we had these four questions. What is reality? We're going to say God and his kingdom are the realities. Who is blessed? Who has the good life? Anyone who is alive in God's kingdom, who has that freedom we sang about, who can walk into a room and just, and no matter what circumstance, respond to it. Who is really a good person? Those who are invaded by agape love. Those who are going to love regardless, the default is love. I'm going to love. Who or how do you become a really good person? And I'm not talking just moral, I'm talking deep. It's apprenticing under Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus. So that's descriptive, right? Those are things we look to and we go, man, I, I want to attain to that. That sounds really good, but it seems lofty. Fair statement? It's like, whoa, blessed am I, blessed am I. We have a promise for blessedness. Last week, we talked about, uh, in verse 13 in particular, you are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's descriptive again. It's like, how can I be salt if my salt has been diluted? If it lacks flavor, if it is insipid, lacking flavor. How does it become like that? Because it's been diluted by things of the world. It's been diluted by television and internet and books and stuff that maybe you shouldn't be reading. I read, I read broadly, so it's not, I'm not talking about non-secular books per se. Please don't hear that. But it gets diluted. If you pour things into your heart, it's like in goes out, right? It comes in, it goes out, and it dilutes the things that we feel are important, and we have a different viewpoint. Our perspective gets changed. I hope you analyze yourself in this way. I hope you might have looked, if you heard the term, I've lost my first love. It gets diluted, whether it's a marriage or a friendship, it gets diluted with things. And it loses its saltiness, it loses its power. Verse 17, it starts into something else. And I want to say it's going to become very prescriptive. And what I'm going to say in advance, well, I'll just, I'll wait for a second. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Galatians 3.12 says, but the law is not of faith, Rather, the ones who do them shall live by faith. The law doesn't create faith, but you should do it out of faith. You should 
Seek to be a peacemaker out of faith. You should love out of faith, even when you don't feel like it. You should love your enemies out of faith, even when you don't feel like it. You should um, be pure in heart, even when you're tempted to do otherwise. You should do these things and seek out these things. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he's a rewarder of those who, what, diligently seek him. You do the law by faith. You're blessed by that faith. So God, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill them. The law is good, but it's grasped together by faith. And the glue of that, I believe, is love. It's agape. Verse 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it has been all accomplished. Jesus came to fulfill all that. So if you come at it where, if you come at it from the perspective, well, I'm just a horrible person, you hear, well, yeah, I failed all this, Eric. We all have, I get it. Jesus came to fulfill it. He is our only hope in this. He is our only answer. Self-help isn't the answer. Discipline of itself isn't the answer. All these things aren't the answer. Jesus is the answer, and you have to apprentice yourself under Jesus. Verse 19 Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That means I don't have an out. Frankly, you don't have an out if you're a Christian. And so when the world looks at us, they, judges how, they judge how filtered our salt is. Our obedience to the law by faith out of love, they look at it and they go, what's really there? What's in deep? When everything is gone away, who is this person? What remains? Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Salvation, this is a clear thing. Salvation is not of works, but it's by grace. In essence, you can't be the best moral person, whether you think that's Gandhi or um, the Dalai Lama or uh, the um, Mother Teresa or uh, Billy Graham, whoever you might think that is, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, is a, sort of the more commonplace way to say it, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We have all fallen short of the glory of God, right? And we can't attain that, and Jesus says it's not by obedience to those things that you're saved. So that takes away some incentive. Other theological backgrounds incentivize obedience. Hey, you need to be safe. If you're going to be, you're going to be a good Christian, you need to do this thing because if you don't do it right and it doesn't work out for you, you might not be saved. Luther came and he sort of crushed all, a lot of that and he pushed against it. Luther had his problems. I'm not saying he was perfect, but you can't incentivize the gospel. However, Jesus did. 
He said you're going to be blessed by it. If Jesus incentivizes something, then we can incentivize it. But not to earn something and, and, and be it just to do it just because. It's because you walk in faith, not by sight. It's you walk in grace. You walk in obedience out of love for God, out of agape, not out of just being a drone toy soldier. Wind me up. I'm just going to do what I do. And we've all done that if we're honest. If you've been a Christian any point in time in your life, you've walked that walk. Some of you might still be there. Push your head down and go. Verse 21. You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. Pretty easy there, right? Man, that's, that's good. I have not knowingly murdered anybody. Right? So, man, that's a great start for me. Preach it, Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees taught, don't murder. Right? It's cool. Check that box. Maybe you haven't. Talk to me later. Or don't talk to me. Can't talk to Jesus. The scribes preached this strong. They stood very righteously up. Don't murder. Check. We're not murderers. I can follow that. I'm good. I'm not Ted Bundy. I'm not Adolf Hitler. I'm not... X, Y, Z, put your name in, right? And those people that have murdered somebody. But last week we talked about total depravity. Not that we are utterly depraved, but that there is within us a way that we're gonna go our course and do what we think is right in our own eyes. Every man, woman, boy, and child has, has grown up with that. You see it in kids with when they pop each other in the head with a toy. When they say mine, adults are far more devious. You play with toys and you get them taken and you get angry. You bop people in the head inside. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brothers will be liable to judgment. Crap. Crap. Unselect all. Guilty. I was angry yesterday. To my recollection today, thus far, I'm okay. But I'm not, the day is not over. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be, liable to, will be liable to the hell of fire. Okay, that's incentivization on the negative perspective. What does that mean? Jesus starts off with the prescriptive answer to the Beatitudes 
in identifying one of the number one problems with us in our heart, and it's anger. Everyone in this room gets angry. There are two different ways that you express that anger. One is very outwardly, maybe. You're a let them have it person, and you let them have it. And when you're done, it's sort of like the hurricane that went through the Bahamas. There's aftermath. But you've moved on. You're not in the Bahamas anymore. You might want to be, but not. You've gone, you've had your thing, your anger's gone, and everyone is left with what's left over. But you might have dissipated by then, and you feel good, but you have left a wake. You ever ridden in a boat, and you go into the small ports, and there's a little buoy that says a big six on it. And it says speed, and it says you are responsible for your. You let it out, it's done, you feel good about yourself, but it goes on, and the people have to deal with it. Or, I learned, I learned a new medical term today, thank you, Miss Robin, or an explanation. There is an inward pressure of anger that goes inside and it's more of a diastolic. Is that the right way to say it? I got lucky. Thank you. It's a constant pressure. It's a lower number in your blood pressure count. That number means a constant pressure that's there. And so you might either be a hurricane. You could be both. Don't get me. You're not just one person here. You can do both, but you have propensity to the other. The other is more uh, diastolic. It's a constant pressure that's within inside of you, and you bury it. And it's more like an earthquake where the plates begin to go push against each other, right? And there's pressure, 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 and then all of a sudden it's just shift. And we have what's called an earthquake, and, the, and the, the scale reads how big it is. And sometimes those things can be expressed by heart attacks, strokes, you name it. Uh, can, anything can happen, or it can turn into a hurricane because you've held it so long and then you blow, then everything, instead of, a, of the Bahamas being out, it might be a whole structure of California type just sort of fall off because it just lays out. And so there's the, there's the external uh, demonstration, internal things of anger. And Jesus said it's all mostly wrong. And I say mostly because there is a holy anger, but I think most of us don't rightly struggle with that. Sometimes, some pieces, but I find it very hard to justify my anger sometimes. Well, that's just a holy anger, Eric. Right? 
well, that's okay because I'm angry at this and I can vent at this. Got to be very careful there. Is the fruit of my anger evident, good fruit? And so Jesus said, I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother is liable. Whoever insults his brother is liable. Anyone who says you fool or you're stupid or you're an idiot or you're this or that and you name your adjective is liable to the fire of hell. Daggone it, that seems pretty strict. Why does he say that? Do you think Jesus was using the hyperbole here? Just like, oh, I'm just being dramatic. Let me give you an observation. We talk about rightly what goes in our body. Eating nutritionally healthy is a good thing long term. Would everyone agree with that? Right? So if you're eating Big Macs every day and, you know, Subway for lunch and doing sodas all the time and doing all this stuff, I'm not being extreme here, but if you're sort of in comes out, right? We have that issue. And I believe it's a legitimate issue. My observation is that anger... is just as deadly, if not more so, than bad nutrition. Unresolved conflict, unforgiveness, anger not done well, we're all going to get angry, but how you process it and how you deal with it makes all the difference. Is that fair to say? I think we can generally agree. You've been here long enough. We can generally agree on the principle, right? I'm not, I'm not, this is not any, whoa, this is profound stuff here. But Jesus begins to hone in on this. If you kill somebody, don't. You know, it's wrong. Don't be a murderer. If you're angry, it's wrong. You'll be held account. If you're insulting to your brother or sister, it's wrong. But what's he meaning? Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. That means I, on multiple occasions, have been a fool. That's just this week. Y'all feeling me here? Don't look at the hurricane quake and go, I'm not that, and justify yourself. You're being prideful. Don't look at the earthquake person and go, at least I get my stuff out and I'm shooting it straight and, and look at the other person. Jesus says, look at your own self. Anger is caused by our will being crossed. When things don't go our way, 
Maybe we've been very clear about our instruction and, and it doesn't go how we said it. Have you ever been at work? I've worked at UPS for 27 years. My will has been crossed more than I can count. I've been a pastor for over a decade. I'm not going to start on that number. And so what I have done is I have spent countless times talking about things with people and sharing truth and, and giving hope and all this stuff thinking that I could change somebody. First mistake. And instead, when people don't do what I suggest they do, instead of me going, well, that's just between them and Jesus and smiling, moving on, my will got crossed. And what do you think happened? It's easy, right? I got angry. I'm not looking at anybody right now for like effect. I'm not like, <laughs> don't read my looks wrong. And it's weird because when you're a good Christian, it's hard to get angry with people in the right way. And so you know what I did? I'm an outward person. I'm a straight shooter. You know where that anger turned? Inside, in a large scale. Because I was trying to be a good Christian. I killed multiple people with my thoughts. I am a serial killer. If you don't know the scripture I'm referencing, it's like if you thought, you know, if you thought bad about someone, you've committed murder. I, I'm a serial killer. I probably killed my kids multiple times. I'm on the, <laughs> you're already dead. <laughs> Not even to go with my wife. My will gets crossed. If you think I like talking about this, I don't. This hits home. Remember what I said about what you do when you're younger has influence? I have watched too many adults live in unforgiveness, live with unresolved past issues, gloss over their anger, justify their anger, thinking that it's best not to deal with it because, you know, I might not handle it right and move on and think it, they can get away with it. I've never seen anyone get away with it. Never. There are some people that are in process. I guess I should say I'm watching. It's coming. Jesus says this is why he's threatening hell with it because you're going to feel the flames of the demonic kingdom on your life when you fail to address your anger. And frankly, you can't deal with it. This is why Jesus is so important. This is why we sing songs about freedom because it's important. But I felt a bit of a shell of emptiness singing that song this morning for us. 
Because I know in this room there are unresolved conflicts that go decades and we've glossed over them and we think we can get away with it and inside our diastolic is constant pressure and it ends up coming out. And I, I once heard it, and I believe this is true. When you get older, you either get sweet or sour. You either get sweet or sour. I think the sweet people, by and large, are the ones who have dealt with their past, who've recognized that they are imperfect people and have done their best to reconcile their relationships and love out of agape, and have, have been hurt by other people and have not just, and have let those relationships go and they've done with it the best they can and they don't bring in a lot of things to it and they live at peace with men and women. Anger is an announcement of pain. You ever been honked at and not felt anger? The only time I've ever gotten away with honking at people without pretty much getting signs of endearment thrown my way are in a UPS truck. We're taught when we're backing, we're pulling out, and most people get it. They, 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 Big Brown gets away with it. Anyone else honks at me? When you, if you get angry with me, you're announcing pain from somewhere. Maybe it's your will being crossed. Maybe it's an unresolved issue from your past. Something is tying in really close to that. It's connecting to that. And if you're a reflective practitioner, you're going to observe yourself and you're going to go, why am I so sensitive about this? A reflective practitioner is not busy looking at everyone else, but they're looking at how they react with everyone else. They're looking for patterns in me, and they're seeing common denominators, and they go, ha. Huh. And they begin a lifelong process of working on me working on my anger, working on my unresolved conflict, working on reconciliation. And we talk about it as a church all the time. We beat it senseless with communion. We beat it senseless. Don't come to the table and la, la, la to the table with unresolved conflict. If you know that there's a fence against you, leave your gift Go and make it right. I'll get there in a second. 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Brother means brother and sister. Don't try to nickel and dime it. 
Some of y'all might go, well, it doesn't say sister, so I'm good. Jesus was talking to y'all men. Now, let me just give a thing about men that I do like. I learned this in basic training. Men have issues. They beat the snot out of each other, and then they're over, by and large. It's not a good thing. It's not a good policy. But when they're younger, for some reason, for some reason, that worked, as long as it was protected. I'm condoning something I shouldn't. Uh, But think about this. Anger suppressed. I'm going to make a statement. Don't tweet me. Not that you do. Suppressed anger creates school shooters. We're, we're called to agree with everyone now in the culture. And instead of disagreeing in a normal, healthy way, we suppress our anger or we get become keyboard rangers and, and spill our anger on Facebook and make broad statements without loving the person in person and saying what we disagree with. We suppress it and we become angry ourselves. John Stott says this, it's a big quote. If you are in church in the middle of a service of worship and you should suddenly remember your brother has a grievance against you, leave church at once and put it right. Do not wait till service has ended. Seek out your brother and ask for forgiveness. First go, then come. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your worship to God. Church should be a regular time of, oops, ugh, and maybe you leave. Maybe communion today, instead of going to it, you leave. And you go, man, I am going to go reconcile. And as much as I'm able, I'm going to make this right with whoever it is. I don't care what they've done to me. I'm going to love them. Sagape, can you do it on your own strength? No. Can you do it in symbol? In symbol? Hey, I'm really sorry about what happened. Would you forgive me? Phew, I'm feel better about that. It flows from the heart. It flows from the heart. Verse twenty-five. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Goes into the judicial part, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to your guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Anger unresolved will make you pay every last penny. It'll cost your relationships. It'll cost your intimacy with God and with others. And it will steal power from your kingdom work. It'll take the power right out. You ever gone to a battery 
and tried to start a car battery when it's dead? No amount of Coke pouring over it will start that battery? No amount of, of uh, just, you know, anything except for putting power on and charging that battery will create that battery and give that a charge, and it has to constantly get charged. Anger takes the power right out of that battery. It drains it. It takes all the acid out of it, and it's not, and that's good acid, not bad acid. It's sort of like stomach acid. It's good acid. It takes it out, and then the inside lead begins to, does lead rust? I think it rusts. Mechanic people, does, does lead the lead in there, does it gets bad though. It gets, it gro- stuff grows on it when it's not surrounded by water of some sort. Your anger, my anger, will take every last penny. It will have its pound of flesh. And you might think you can get away with it in your 20s and 30s. My gut says... By your 40s and 50s, it's going to hit you like a two by four. And it's going to be harder to deal with. So I want to speak, I want to quickly say to two people right now, two different people. If you're young, I'm just asking you to trust me like the nutrition people, like the exercise people. Don't let anger rule you. Walk in forgiveness and reconciliation and you will live more peaceably and your blood pressure will be better and your relationship with Jesus will be better and your battery will be restored and maybe when you walk in this life, you will have more kingdom power in your life. Two, if you're like me and today just entered another decade, I'm angry now. No, I'm angry now. <laughs> There's hope. I've spent the past couple years, I'm not done yet. Not done yet. I wish I could say I'm done. I wish I could go up here. Got that one licked. I have spent the past couple years reconciling relationships in my life. Some of them didn't deserve in the physical world my desire for reconciliation. I was hurt. If you were to put a scale on it, I would say in some. Some of it, the scale's the other way, trust me. I could look and most people in the world go, Eric, you don't have to deal with that. They were mostly in the wrong and everything like that. But that's not what God's kingdom says to do. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. If you spend the next year working out relationships that have been broken, working out your working out peace with people, that you will see more kingdom power and you will have more peace in your heart. I mean it. Some of you experienced it. You know exactly what I mean. Some of you go, this is impossible. 
I don't have time to tell stories. I can tell you stories that seem impossible, but God's done it. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewal of your mind. Your mind's going to tell you, don't forgive. Don't deal with it. It's too hard. Gloss it over. It's like saying, I have, like, I've got a, I think it's a lipoma. I got it scanned, but I've got this mass right here. Right? And it's like me going, I think it's a lipoma. Don't worry about it. Right? And then two years later, I go, oh, crap, it's cancer, right? No, oh, it takes my life. Unresolved anger will take your life. You will feel the flames of hell. And how you deal with anger is going to be modeled to your children and those you love. It's never too late to start. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't put on the salve of I'm going to get over this and a band-aid of I'm going to get over this or a quick uh, antibiotic to get over it because it won't work. Renewing your mind by testing you might discern what the will of God is. Did Jesus just tell us what the will of God is? Be peacemakers in the Beatitudes, right? This is cumulative Blessed, salt and light, how we should be, now it's getting into home, very prescriptive. Let's stand as we come to the table. I would be perfectly at peace if more than half of this room doesn't come to communion this morning. I will be perfectly at peace. I will not look at, oh, these people are less than, you know, they're not coming to the table and receiving. No, I'm going, these people are taking Jesus' command seriously. The Sermon on the Mount has significance for my soul, for your soul. We're going to do hard work now. Hard work's going, I'm not going to do this until I begin the work. So there's two ways to do this. One is you can sit in your seats, and that's fine. Two, you can, if you want to look a little better maybe in front of everyone, you could do a flyby. You could do that. I mean, just sort of like look over here and just sort of, you could even take something with you back to your seats. I don't care. Not gonna, you can feed your kid to it later. I didn't say that right. Feed it to your kid. <laughs> this is soul work. Unresolved anger will kill you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for what it's doing in my life. Lord, I don't like what it's uncovering. Doesn't always feel good, but I, I look and I want to be and us sing as a church passionately, God, that uh, the spirit of the Lord is freedom. 
freedom from anger, not all the time, but by the grips. Lord, as we come to your table, we rejoice in the truth of the gospel. We rejoice in the hope of the gospel. Lord, we rejoice that we are not in this alone, that we are called to renew our mind and that your spirit gives us the power we need. So Jesus, we trust you this. Amen.